Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 299. And today is kind of a little add in because one, I have the time because it's um, wind chill of 20 below outside right now. So, <laughs> and for those of you that know about LC, my little field champion wiener dog, I literally have to drag her outside onto the front grass <laughs> see every day so it's really cold here so i have four people that i interact with uh good friends who are getting new retriever puppies either just got them or will be getting them shortly and so i decided i would since i have the time and it's absolutely one of my very favorite topics i'm going to do this one on bringing the new puppy home. Now, to a degree, this goes to uh, about most dogs, if not almost all of them. Now, when I brought LC home as a puppy, uh, most other than the bird stuff, which <laughs> with her was inadvertent because I was at the training facility, so we encountered birds every day too. But, but it's it's going to it's a dog kind of a dog psychology and a dog approach that I'm going to talk about. Um, Primarily because, and one of the reasons that I, I feel uh, empowered to come on here and act like I know something about this is because for so many years of my life, I have trained dogs for other people. And so the end goal of what we want, and I don't just mean a dog that can run multiples and blinds and steady in the upland field and all that. I, what I'm talking about is a dog that can do the things that you want to do in the field and whatever performance venue but also coexist with you in your life, however that is, in the most pleasant and uh, enjoyable way for both of you. So I kind of, I, I feel kind of strong about how do you get them prepared for whatever training, if any, and hopefully there will be some, um, how do you prepare them optimally for that and also have them be the absolute what I'll take one of AKC's terms, best citizens, and just, you know, wonderful, wanted, enjoyed, easy to have, non-destructive family member that you can have. So that's what I'm going to talk about. So it's the being a, a good member of your family system and also to be the most trainable, the, most, the dog most amenable to doing whatever work it is you want it to do. So those are the two approaches that I'm going to talk about. So if you think about that first, even before the dog comes home. Now, in in the, my most recent book, and I'm going to even increase this in the new one, I devote a great deal of time to uh, before the puppy comes home and then the first, you know, four months that the dog is there before formal training starts. So I'm not going to go into all the detail, but I'm going to go into, you know, bringing this little dog home. Now right there is just almost nothing on the planet cuter than a little eight week old puppy right right and they have puppy breath they are adorable you can pick them up everybody loves them except the other dog and the cats or whatever else you have um and so it's just a real positive thing for a little while and so the tendency that we all have is to it's like we just brought home i don't know 
the best pizza that the world ever made and we set it down in the middle of the living room and everyone can enjoy this and oh this is just so wonderful uh and that's a little bit of that is good but you have to realize that this is one of god's creatures brought home and you want to to make the most of this for that little puppy and for you so it's best to have a little bit of a plan in advance before the dog gets home and these are the real important things one um, do you know what the walk is if you don't figure that out who's going to do it and preferably the walk which is one of the most probably the most pivotal training pivotal training tool and technique for any dog for anything and it's much better done by one person now i know when you have two people that are wanting to do all this stuff um, i understand that you know i want but everybody wants to be a part of it but i i will just say there should be one person who is the person who takes this dog out on a walk that doesn't mean on sunday the other one can't do it themselves and get some of the enjoyment but it's a really a a learning thing for you and for the pup and also a establishing a, a connection which is important for everything plus the obvious things um it it gets the dog to be robust to understand the world in which it will perform and live and the healthiness and the development of muscles and bones and tendons and all that is just huge it's also the place where they learn all about you and you learn all about them and you're doing it in the place that they love the most and by that i mean where they were intended which is out in nature doing their thing in nature so that is super important and i've done entire t podcasts and things like that on that so we'll just go refer back to that if this is new and you haven't heard that before who's going to do that make sure it's built into the schedule you know i know especially this time of year it's january there's not a lot of light i build in a time and if you if you're going to get a puppy then you you owe it to the whole thing to find a time just saying no i can't do it i just don't have time then you shouldn't have the puppy i mean that's just a fact that's just like having a kid going well we can't afford it and we can't nobody can take care of it well then please don't have the kid right now wait until you're in a position and it's the same thing with with the dog so if you have to take the dog out at lunch uh you have that's you know in the beginning it's like a 10 minute 15 minute thing at most it might get up to half hour later on good for you good for the dog build that in i you know if you can't do that again i don't i don't think you should probably be getting a puppy at this point so that's very important obviously get advice from the breeder and your vet not the back of the dog food bag on the best approach to feeding and I'll just caution this. If somebody's telling you, buy the dog food that I use because then I'll get a deal on it or <laughs> be aware of that, you know, find the, the, what you can afford because this stuff can get outrageous and feed the optimal food for a little puppy. And there's a lot more to this than I can go into, but since hip issues and bone issues are an issue with larger dogs and with retrievers and performance dogs, there are certain dog foods that they say if you feed them the wrong dog food at the wrong time, the bone growth won't go the way that it should. You know, look, just at, read about that. Look into that before you decide. 
for sure what kind of dog food that you want to feed. Now, if you want dog food to be as in the current, I call them the city training methods, if you want dog food to, to be a, your dog's food to be a big part of that, uh, then <laughs> make it a big part of it. Um, I have found forever and ever that the best thing to do is have food be the source of energy and nutrition, and certainly it's a very enjoyable part of the day. It should not, I, I will really state this, it should not be free feeding. Because if you're going to travel, if you're going to go hunting, if you're going to be on the circuit competing, your dog needs to be able to be in its its crate while traveling. Sometimes they might have to stay in your vehicle at night because they can't stay indoors if, if you do that. Um, and they need to be able to eat. You know, if you're going to drive a long ways and go hunting somewhere, you need your dog to eat. They can be can get low blood sugar, and you can have a lot of problems with that. So that if you have them conditioned to eating... When it's dinner time or breakfast, however you do it, then they will do that. But if they can just eat whenever they feel like it, then maybe when they're excited or something's different or they're traveling, then they won't eat. You're just creating problems that you don't need to have. So every dog that I've ever trained, owned, had anything to do with, when they're little, they get breakfast and dinner. And then depending on the dog, they either maintain that or they just get dinner so that we don't work them on a full intestine or stomach and when you condition them to that they're very happy with that if you don't make and i know labs really like food and some do to almost a fatal degree you certainly don't free feed those dogs food is not love okay food is not love food when you love your dog give them the energy and nutrition that they need and give them a purpose in life that's a far greater love thing so you know, the treat thing and all that. Um, again, I'm, I'm just entirely opposed to it because I think it makes people feel better more than it benefits you in your training program. Unless, you know, it's the only way you can connect with a dog. Dogs that have fear issues or things like that. But again, using food is, is a bit of a crutch. Um, and it's not necessary because I've never, I've never done it. When in my LC, my little dachshund, when she goes to the vet, you know, and they always give them treats before they give them a shot, she won't take it. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, give me the shot. Come on. I mean, and they're always just flummoxed by that. But it's like, no, it's this is not food time, and she's just not into food to the degree that uh, now every lab in the world always takes that. It's like <laughs> Sometimes they'll give them like 10, right? It's like, okay, we got to cut back on dinner now. <laughs> So food should, you know, if you teach a dog from the beginning that food is a wonderful part of their life, but only in certain windows and the rest of the time it's a lot of other things, it sure makes traveling, competition, and the dog's health, blood sugar levels and all that a much easier thing to maintain. So work on that, preferably before the dog. You get the dog. And don't, don't fall into somebody's way to make more money deal. Be aware of that. Now, um... Again, this is just my experience and my opinion on doing this stuff. Obviously, you know, people should do whatever rings your times. But you can read everything or be told everything or get on the Internet and ask the question and get all this kind of stuff. Never let your dog in the house. Never let your dog sleep on the bed or always whatever it is. <laughs> so I'm just I don't have that stuff. I'm just going to talk about a, kind of a good way to think about this. 
So if the future of this dog, again, remember we got this adorable, cute little puppy. Everybody wants to pick it up and spoil it and carry it over here and sleep with it, and put it in a chair with it and take it with them, all this kind of, you know, put it with the other dogs. Oh, well, let's watch them play. And they have all these kind of things. It's all about their own pleasure. If you want to think about this dog and its future life, you know, are you a hunter? Are you a competitor? You know, are you somebody that gets out? Let's say you're not a competitor and you, you know, you just hike a lot and you do a lot of things and you want the dog with you. You want them to travel with you when you go places. You want them to stay with you and not run around, all the kind of stuff. All right, let's build for that from this point. So you don't always know. Your dog may um, break a toenail. Do something, you know, run into a fence and get cut and have to spend a night or two at, at the vets. Heaven, you know, I hope that never happens to anybody, but it does happen. And when that, when they stay at the vets for a day or two, they're in a little box. Not a little box. They're in the one that they can, they're comfortable in, but they're contained within something. And if you don't want your puppy chewing up the furniture, the other dogs, the cat box... The drywall, the one antique you have from great-grandma, if you don't want any of that, then one of the best ways to never let that habit begin or the fun of that be discovered by the dog, have a crate. Now, you can have a puppy crate when they're little if you want. You can just go ahead and start with what the, what the crate will be when it's a, a large dog and use that coordinate off you got a bed on one side you got a little bowl of water maybe if it's a little little puppy you have something that uh, the dog knows that it can actually relieve itself in for a little guy um I, now the bigger the crate the better is not the case it is not the case so if you have a labrador or a hunting dog, regular hunting size dog, and you get the XL for the Great Dane crate because you know you love them so much and stuff. That's actually not good, because one, it's not going to fit into most vehicles. So if you travel, you really do, really, really do want to travel with a crate, particularly in the beginning. If your dog's ever going to be crated at the vet, it'd be, you know it's nice if they're used to being in that. If you ever board them. You know, and they're confined. It's really nice if being confined is not a brand new and terribly terrifying thing. So get the crate that the dog will travel in. You can put it in the back of your vehicle. It will fit, and the dog can lay down, stand up, turn around, all of that. But not get exercise or run around. If you have a real large crate and you get in a dog accident, a car accident, right, if you have a don't use a crate and you get in a car accident, your dog flies through the windshield or the side window or the back window or slams into the roof and then the floor and then the side. If you have a crate, at least they are contained within that and a lot of the energy can be absorbed by the crate instead of the dog's body. If it's too big of a crate, they get thrown around not only in the vehicle but within the crate itself. And so that's why you actually want an appropriately sized crate. And if you, and this, okay, this can be a tough one for a lot of people. You bring the dog home, it's the first day. Um, oh, it'd be really nice if your breeders conditioned some of this, but sometimes that's a hard thing to do with 10 or 8 puppies. But when you bring them home and you love them all over the place and you... Uh, 
you know, got him exercise, got him out, took him for a little bit of a walk. The whole world's going to be scary. Remember, in the very beginning, all they've ever known is mom and wherever they were. And now when you get them, it's just the whole world has changed. So don't judge anything by their behavior and understand this. You know, to get them outside, go out with them. I would, I'll talk about this topic in a minute. I would not use the other dogs to teach this dog things, well, ever. But certainly at this point, not at all. Go out in the yard or wherever you are, take the pup out and let it, you know, kind of maybe even tired out. It's going to be kind of overwhelming. And then, just like you would with a kid, have a bedtime for this puppy. Whatever it is, whatever works. You know, if you guys stay up late till 11, have 11 o'clock be the bedtime. If you guys, you know, do things a little bit earlier, put the dog to bed at 8 o'clock or whatever it is. Whatever works in your family. Remember, this dog needs to fit into your system. So let's start with day one. So get your puppy. It's, it's been fed. It's relieved itself. It's had all this stuff. Put it in its crate. Um... Put it in its crate. Okay, it doesn't have its siblings that it's sleeping with anymore. Probably wasn't sleeping with mom because the dog would be weaned, but it's used to sleeping probably in the company of another dog or two or three. So no, don't put it with your other dog or two or three. Put it in a crate, a nice comfy bed, a little bowl of water, and then something like sawdust, um, a little bit of grass hay or something. Don't use straw. That stuff's like can be like needles on little puppies. Um, and oh, sawdust is always good. Newspaper, something where you teach the, even a little box with dirt, kind of, kind of like a litter box, but they don't have to jump in. But something where it can relieve itself, and then put it to bed. Okay, this is always the hard part. This is the hard part. I'm, I'm like way over the hard part after having done it so many times. I know it's coming, and it just really doesn't bother me. So if it's a screecher which you should already know if you got to pick your puppy out. So I don't ever get the screecher in a litter if you can help it. Because if it's a screecher, it's going to screech. Therefore, you can put it at a distance from your bedroom. If you put it in your bedroom, and I know a lot of people do, and sometimes it's perfectly fine. A lot of times it is not perfectly fine. Because then they start screeching, you get them up, you take them out. So let's teach this dog from the very beginning that you are catering to its every whim. And, you know, frankly, you don't really have to do that. That's why you want to have a regular size crate with a place for it to sleep and a place for it to relieve itself without having to then sleep in it. We certainly don't want to teach them to be dirty. And put them, put them to bed. So <clears throat> even, you know, and I'll just say this. I, in the beginning, I didn't, oh, eight weeks, that's just too young. But then I wound up doing it at eight weeks. So they could go over on the sawdust and relieve themselves and then climb back into bed and they'll be clean it's separate and all that stuff they might chew on stuff you have to have stuff they can chew on that's why for me i always would use grass hay or even some dirt and then have um, bedding they can chew on and stuff they can chew on you know a toy or two they don't need eight toys toys do not equal love give them something so if they want to chew on stuff which they will that they can do they don't need food overnight. I think they need water, so I would always put some water that they couldn't knock over. And then they would be in a, I had a kennel building, so that was, I could put them in the kennel building if I wanted. They could be in the basement. They could be in the garage. They could be somewhere where you can actually sleep. 
And believe it or not, if you get through a few tough nights of that, then they learn, oh, once I go to bed, I'm done. And then you have that pretty much the rest of your life. And if you are going to nurse them along and they tell you when they want to go outside and they tell you when they want to get up and all that stuff, then you're just setting that up forever. So I'd make a choice on that. You're not a bad guy for doing it my way. I'm just going to get this learning thing done fairly soon so I don't have to deal with it. And personally, all my dogs are house dogs. Um, they always have been. When they're in training, they were in training, but they're house dogs. But they started out in the crate. You go all night, and they do. And that's a great dog to have because they learn that I decide when you go to bed and I decide when you get up. And soon, as soon as your body cannot go all night holding itself, but because sleeping in that crate with your urine over there in the, in the hay or whatever it is, you know, ugh, pretty soon that will stop. And if it doesn't stop, then you have a dog that just doesn't care. The other alternative you have, of course, is either an indoor kennel, like kennel run, if you have an unfinished basement kind of thing, or an outdoor kennel or a kennel in the garage where they can actually get up, move around, they can urinate, they can get a drink of water, they got a, a hopefully a raised bed where they're up off the floor so they don't ever have to get dirty about anything. And then just put them in there, put some music on, and uh, that you know that's really ideal. That's generally if the if the season is allows that. My dogs would always be outside in a very nice kennel, and they would be out there. They're warm. They got a great barrel bed. They got water. They're fine. And if they make noise, you know, well, I always lived somewhere where there were no neighbors. If you have neighbors, maybe in the garage, get it started <laughs> before you put them out. But to develop that before they know anything else, and again, the transition from being with all your siblings in a real you know, nice place, it's a, it's a hard transition. Understand that. But do not teach them right off the bat that they control everything because later on you're going to be upset when they're controlling everything. So use that outdoor kennel is an awesome, awesome thing to do, or a kennel in the garage or a kennel in the basement. And if you do that just consistently in the beginning, it becomes the norm. And, you know, put them up with a, a bone or something so they can chew for a while and sleep and chew on something. And it makes things much easier. All right, now when you take, when you <clears throat> take this little guy and you're going to go to the vet because you'll have to go for a series of shots and various things. Don't, you know, they're little. Their immune systems are not fully developed, so don't take them to the dog park, preferably ever. But don't take them places where there are lots of dog germ. People that maybe never got the shots on a dog, you know, and they're out there. You don't want to expose them to that, hopefully ever, but it's certainly when they're young and their immune system is not fully developed. So be careful of taking them out in the madding crowd uh, for a while. But when you take them to the vet, and no, they're so cute, right? And if you have a kid, they always want to hold them. I understand that. But let's just teach the young people, if you have any, or the not-so-young people, if they're making a fuss over this, that we go in the crate whenever we are going to go to the vet or out to the place where we do our walk. We're in the crate. Teach this dog now that when you get in a crate, it means you're going somewhere and it's very cool. So that 
then when you travel, <clears throat> if you say you had to ship them on an airline, um, say they have to stay in a crate at the at the at the groomers or at the vet or even boarding. Some people let their dogs be put in crates boarding. I don't get that, but they do that. So if your dog understands going in a crate is nothing more than going in a crate. They're not, it doesn't mean the world is over, this is terrible, because they fully understand it, they're conditioned to it, and they do it. Really makes traveling nice. Really makes traveling nice when the dog has to sleep outside for some reason, in the vehicle instead of in the motel room. Start that now. It's just going to take a week or two, and then the dog will be very conditioned. How do you get them in the crate? You put them in the crate. <laughs> that is not a thing. When you have a little 12, 15 pound little something or other or smaller and you have a crate, put animal in crate, shut crate. Have a command or something, a cue, you know, kennel, whatever you want to say, at which they associate with getting in there. Put them in there <laughs> and shut it. If, if they're <clears throat> resisting it and it's, oh, gosh, a scary thing, turn them around backwards so they're not looking at it. Stick them in rear end first. Just put them in there and end that right now. If you can't win a battle with a little tiny eight-week-old puppy, you're going to have a rough time for the rest of the years. So just teach them when I say kennel, you're in. And 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 same with a kennel run. If you have a kennel run, you know, Toss, that's a place they use a treat. Toss a treat in there. Dog gets in there, gets a little goodie, and uh, there you go. We're done. It really is that simple. Now, I, I got, I'm going to run out of time. This is such an important topic. So the, I'm going to go on my favorite topic that makes everybody upset is the how do I keep this dog when it's 60, 70, 80, 90 pounds from jumping on me or my kids or my mom when she comes over or the neighbor or whatever by never teaching them to do it to start so whenever people at puppy puppy breath adorable right and ever what's the first thing everybody does with every puppy oh puppy runs over to them puts their feet out there they pick it up you get it up in your face you know so they can smell the puppy breath and it's just so wonderful right and that becomes kind of a habit, right? Because it's just so cute and they're little and it's fun and you love it. So what's happening, I know what we're all doing when we do that, but what's happening is you're teaching that little dog the most loving, warm, fun, comfortable, squishy, just awesome space is up on them. Right up by their face, right up in their neck, right across. That's the best place. And every time it sees somebody, it winds up in this great place. And so you teach this dog that that up on you is a great feed on you, great place. And then as they start to get bigger and bigger, you know, and <clears throat> there's all kinds of training techniques on how to teach them to stop jumping on you. And I don't really have those. I just have the I'm never going to teach this dog that that's even a thing, right? It's like resisting getting in the crate. Not a thing. Making noise after you've gone to bed. Tolerated for a few weeks, and then it becomes not a thing. Not because of punishment, but because it never got them anything, so they stop. And similarly here, I, you know, yes, do you have to pick up a puppy sometimes? Yes. You have to pick them up to put them in the crate or the vehicle. You have to pick them up to put them in the 
kennel run. You have to pick them up to get them up on the vet table. Uh, yes. But in but that doesn't mean you may never, never pick this dog up. But if you want to go down and get the puppy breath and the smooching and the loving and stuff, get down with the puppy. Get down with the puppy. Get down on the floor and smooch on them and where their feet are on the floor. All the good stuff happens when their feet are on the floor. And if you consistently teach that, then they don't know about feet up on you at all. So it really is that simple, folks. And so when you have people come over to see the puppy, you know, if it's grandma and she wants to pick the dog up, let her family trumps dog stuff but the neighbors and your cousin and the kids and the kids friends and uh, your training partners they don't need to pick the dog up just ask them not to just say hey just if would you just go out down and love on that dog and stuff just ask them that so if you the easiest way uh, not to have the jumping problem is not to create the jumping problem and a little bitty puppy, if it wants to come and jump on you, just step away so it can't. You know, take off on your walk. Don't pick the dog up on your walk. True, really true. So that's a real uh, problem that's real easy not to have. The noise problem and the destruction problem. Okay, that's always a big one with these guys. I'm not going to talk too much about this. But if they tend to get noisy, you can shake cans of pennies and squirt them with water and all kind of stuff you can do all that stuff in the end i've never seen that be that effective because if they're that tenacious usually a spray of water in a space face especially for a lab are you kidding <laughs> water whoo <laughs> they love that stuff so what i have found to be in general the best thing one don't get the don't get the squalling one if you can out of the litter but have a place i don't care garage basement closet upstairs don't be like weird creepy put them in a closet but what i mean is somewhere where if they make noise um it doesn't one they can just make it and learn that it never gets them anything because if they start making noise and here you come i don't care if you come over and swat the crate or you know sometimes you could just literally roll the crate a little bit so they're kind of roll the dog but you they still got your attention which is what they wanted. So good attention or bad attention, they got your attention. Do what you can, if you can, to teach this dog that when you make noise, nothing happens, so don't even bother. Make the noise not a thing. Do it from the beginning. Now, if you live in a tight apartment complex and the neighbors can hear everything, you know, should you have one of these dogs living like that? I don't know, it's gonna be a problem. Um, you know, then you have to give them a consequence. But if you give in and get them up in the bed with you, I know that seems harmless, but you just taught them, just, ex just exert your will and I'll cave in. Not really a precedent you want to set with anything. And certainly not a dog that you want to do maybe some training or at least have. Come when you call them out in the middle of nowhere. So that's the noise thing is, is uh, important. The destruction thing, again. Crate, dog run. You can have dog runs inside of houses. I know a lot of people that in their basement, on the concrete, they have, you know, you can get them at the Home Depot kind of stores. You can get these places where you can put a, a, a dog run in. So when you're going to, especially a little guy, right, you can't teach them not to chew stuff. 
their teeth are growing, their jaws are growing. I mean, they're going to be teeth. They will. They start to lose their teeth around five, four, five, six months, right? And then they really got to chew on stuff. That's what they do. And so you can't be mad that they're in the house chewing up your most expensive pair of shoes because they can tell. They can tell which the ones actually that smell the most like you, those are the ones they're going to eat. Those are the ones you like the most. So this is what they do. You can't teach them not to do something that is such a natural inclination. So what you do is when you're there with them, keep an eye on them. When you cannot keep an eye on them, because maybe you work at home, right? And you're really, you're on phone calls, you're on the computer. Put them in the crate with something, three things they can chew on. If you have to leave, if you're going to be gone, you know, a short period of time, you can put them in a crate. If you're going to be gone a good part of the day, find some kind of kennel run to have so that they're in there. If they have to relieve themselves, I've got a little place where they can do it and they can chew on stuff. And there's, and you know, if they're a bed destroyer, then just give them, you know, I'd give them a bed with some little bit of grass hay. They can eat that if they want. It won't hurt them. Be careful because if they start eating bedding and sawdust and stuff, you could have a problem. That's why I always did grass hay because that's just grass. Um, but you got to kind of outthink them a little bit. But just prevent them from ever learning to go chew on stuff. Go up perusing your closet for your most favorite pair of shoes. Just don't have them do that, which means you got to kind of be on top of the situation. If you have a toddler kid, you don't just ignore them and be on the computer and let them go to the electric outlets and all kinds of stuff in the house, and it's even easier with a puppy. It's like, I can't pay attention. You're going to go on the crate for right now. So that's, that's a pretty simple one. Now, for the kind of dogs that I'm mostly talking about, outdoors is somewhat essential to health. If they're indoors for 23 and a half hours a day, again, should you be having this dog? So I'm just going to say, if you have a way to have a dog be outside a significant amount of the time safely, that's always better than not having them outside. To have them be able to just be out in the real world with the sun and the sky, and the, obviously they can't get hot. It's got to be safe. But again, being outside is an important thing. Now let's talk really about, that's just regular life stuff. Get them to fit your life. Get over the hard stuff early, early on. Don't let them learn. It's so hard and also unfair to teach a dog, yeah, we'll all pick you up. We'll, we'll, every time you bark, we'll respond. Every time you go scratch at the door, we'll let you out. Every time. And then all of a sudden reach a point where, so, you know, this dog, we need to start training this dog. And they don't have a, and then that's where, I, this dog's so stubborn. Well, no, you are not the dog. You just taught the dog all this stuff, and now you're changing all the rules. And the dog's going, no, 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 no. This is not what you shot, sh told me. This is what we do. So problem prevention is the key to all of that stuff. And if you just go through a few weeks of the tough time, it, it really kind of smooths out there really well. So let's talk about this is training the pointing Labrador uh, uh, thing. So I'm going to talk about... Uh, the bird stuff. Now, assuming that if you're listening to this, you're into the performance thing. I don't care whether you hunt and that's all or whether you compete and that's all or you do both. Uh, that really doesn't change this kind of stuff. Based on those little guys' brains, if you, and then let's just say, if, you're gonna, if you have an upland dog, 
particularly pointing. But it, if you upland is a big part of what you're going to do, and also the other retriever stuff. On these little dogs, and I have found this on literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dogs, I'm going to say I would expect more than anyone else has done in terms of the pointing laps. Um, what I have found is that you need, there's some little, there's some, there's two so almost competing things in there because our, our retrievers are such strong retrievers, right? That is, I mean, most of them do it at six weeks and every day after. And they don't even know what they're doing. They have no idea, but they are retrieving. And if they're not, get them that way as soon as you can because it's a huge, that's why you got the something, something retriever. So bring that out. Don't wait for that because the longer you let a part of the brain, a part of the DNA drive in them go unstimulated and unrecognized, the more it becomes dormant. Now, are there exceptions to this? Somebody didn't have their dog retrieve anything and at 18 months and now it's a field champion? I'm sure, yes. But that is the, completely the exception for the most part. If you let, for what most of us have on the bell curve, the big middle of that bell curve, if you want to get the most you can out of your dog, if, if you let a certain part of their brain be dormant for a while, it can be very hard to stimulate that at a later date. And it also is silly because you just don't have to. I mean, I, I don't know why anybody would ever do that. I, would, I just would never do that. Um, you're banking on, well, I'm just going to get lucky. So there's a couple parts of the brain for these hunting dogs. And the retrieving part is a big part of it. And the retrieving is what they become passionate about. And that's the leverage you have to teach all the really challenging, you know, like being able to call them off a bird. You know, when they really love birds, they better think they've got to come on. And the leverage you have to train to that level, to teach them to stop on a dead run after where they think the bird is with, uh, and sit on a whistle, the leverage you have to do that is because they're ultimately they're going to get to retrieve. So you want the retrieving to be developed early. For the upland dogs, both flushing and pointing, but particularly for the pointing thing. So we have this ardent retriever, which is a predatory thing. Go get it. I want it in my mouth. I want to go get that. That's one thing. And then you have a pointer, which finds a bird and doesn't go get it. So we have a different part of the brain working here. And it, what makes the pointing retrievers kind of a, an unusual thing is because unlike most of the other pointers, their desire to retrieve is on a 1 to 10, it's a 10 or above. You know, they will break ice. They will kill themselves to go after that bird. So the, the retrieve thing is very high, right? Higher than most of the pointing breeds. Not all. There's ardent pointing guys that will go break ice and do all kind of crazy things. But in general, the, the retrievers are just really bent that way. And when they are pointers, when they have point in them, then that is not, that's a, a little bit in opposition if you think about it. It's like, there it is, don't get it. That's a, but that's in that they have a part of their brain that responds that way, that on uh, finding convincing scent of a bird just stops, just absolutely freezes. And those really good ones, they're almost like in a trance. So if you want to bring that out in your dog, then 
not at simultaneously at the same time, you need to work on stimulating both those parts of the brain and the DNA. So you do your retrieving two or three at a time, no more. Do not use retrieving for exercise on this dog. That is what the walk is for. Um, because you, the retrieving is its ultimate job and you want them to understand, oh, I don't get to do a bunch of it, but I love it so much and I go out and I come back. And you can start teaching that at eight weeks. At whatever level the dog, and the thing, the you don't do more to, to that makes them be sloppy and loose about this. You do two or three, maybe four at most, and then you stop. So the next time you do it, they love it even more and they take it more seriously and they will follow all the rules to do this, including out and back, like the, pri the prior podcast. You know, don't let them run around and parade. Don't have the other dogs out there. And I'm going to, I'll finish this thing up with the other dogs comment. But you want that retrieving. And now on a, on another separate training occasion, we want these little guys, as soon as they can mentally put their olfactory system together with their thinker, which some can't do at eight weeks and some do amazing. It's not a, that's not a judgment of how good they're going to be. It's just their developmental rate. And if you introduce them to the scent of a live bird. Now, I'm going to say the robin, you know, the sparrow, shoot, even a pigeon. That's kind of the rat in the bird world is, is not at all the thing, if at all possible. <clears throat> if you can introduce them to the scent of a quail, a little quail, a chucker, no pheasants on an eight-week-old because they're bigger than the bird dog and they could even, like, they scare the heck out of them. They scare. When I've had them flush up when I was walking by one, that's a scary thing. You don't want that. But you want to begin, as soon as they can understand and put this together, you want to kick that in. And not by having the bird in a trap. And not by having the dog on a, don't be in the middle of it. Because they're going to think, every time I get a long cord on, I'm going to go find this bird. That's not what we're trying. No. <laughs> no. We, we just want you to go understand what that smell is and how absolutely compelling it is. And I'm not going to get in the middle of your thought processes while you're doing that. Now, while they're little, even if they chase a bird, you can go run them down and get them. When they start getting where you can't do that, then we got the long cord or maybe we stop for a while or something else. But you need to kick that in. And you need to kick it in in a non-interventional way. I've seen people do it. They put birds in a, in a little cage, a little crate of some kind. And then let their dog go over there and start ripping at the crate. Uh, you know, um, I... I have never done that because I don't hunt birds in a crate. I don't want the dog to think you go get birds in a crate because I compete, right? <laughs> I can't have them daring at the crates when we're on our way out to go do something. You ha the best way I have found to stimulate that part of the brain, one, is not to be talking and sitting, getting in the middle of it and to have that dog exposed to that scent and then find out what happens. They're going to move. Of course, they're going to go in on it. Most of them. Some of them point and just stay there. But even if you just wait that out, they're gonna, their curiosity is going to overcome this, this automatic response of freezing. And they're going to go see what that is. That's what we want. We want to and go chase it. Yes, this is awesome. You must stimulate that part of their brain. But again, unlike 
I, most of what I see, I'm not talking because that draws their attention off of themselves and what they're working out in their own little brain system. And I don't have cords on them, so they're not having to be jerked back or stopped or intervened with. I want that bird puppy thing to happen all on its own. And I have found that that's the quickest way to stimulate that part of their brain without being worried or corrected or flipped upside down or have some cage there or teach them stuff I don't want them to do later on. I'm just going to let this interaction occur. I think that is so important. I have not ever had that fail for me, ever, ever. It's just both of those parts of the brains. I'm going to stimulate them there. I'm going to let them chase the quail. Eight weeks old. 10 weeks old, they aren't going to be able to, I can go get them before they go too far. Um, but I want that thing kicked on in there. And preferably, and in, in, in within my uh, experience, the best thing to do, I like to do that once a week until their excitement and stuff becomes a problem. Like they're big enough now that if they go chase a bird, if that checker flies all the way away and they go chase it, I'm going to have to go get the ATV to go run them down. Okay, that's when I'm going to stop. That's when I'm going to stop do that for a while because I have them really kicked in. Then there's other training things to do to go ahead and, you know, if they're pointing, great. If they're But usually they point, like I, G, G was a big story on here. She'd point for two minutes in the beginning. We'd just go shoot it because she was just staying there. And then as the weeks and months went by, She'd point because that's just what she did. And then she'd be going, holy cow, what am I doing? I got to go get this. Okay. Totally understandable. I mean, that's, of course, they're going to do that because they're smart. They're thinking. They love this. They, they're doing the pointing thing. And that's when then you go ahead and do your obedience and collar conditioning and stuff so you can come back in and do a de-chase, which just sews that stuff up. So for the most part. So because it was brought about in the right you know, this part of the brain was stimulated and then this part of the brain was stimulated. But the retrieving I do almost every day. The apple birds once a week because pretty soon they're going to get crazy. Um, and I have that part stimulated. And all with all training, and I'm going to wrap this up because we've been going on a little bit longer than normal. The, all, all training on this kind of stuff um, is you move on or adjust things when something says that you have to. Because like I said, I would do upland birds every week until something became unmanageable. I can't control the dog anymore. I can't catch it. Um, all I'm doing if I put a long cord on it is I'm just holding it, not letting it get the bird. You know, that becomes a tug of war between the two of us. I have never done that. Right? I have not found that to be the best way to teach. I teach other stuff, and then we come back out there. So whenever things are in the obedience, the obedience, putting on a, a leash on a dog, there isn't like the way you're supposed to do it. If you The walk is where you teach the dog, always stay with me, always pay attention to me, take note of what I'm, what direction I'm going. Do not talk when you're on, the, unless you absolutely have to for a safety thing. Teach the dog to take all the responsibility for staying with you, your speed, your direction, all that kind of stuff. When you need to do some leash work, like you still have to walk this dog into the vet's office and you got to walk it down the street to whatever. Okay, then if you need to do some leash work, when you need to do it, do it. When you do it, just like putting a dog in a crate or putting a dog in, you know, whatever, 
It's like, this is not a fight. This is not a debate. We are not equals. I win. And so when we start walking on a leash, you're going to walk on a leash. You're not going to drag me down the street. (laughs) You're not going to tie me in a knot. If I need to have you on a leash, then I'm going to have you heal and sit. Period. Just like in the prior podcast, I'm just going to do that. I'm not going to do it as soon as I can. I'm going to do it when I need to. Because the walk is my biggest, biggest training thing ever, 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 ever. That makes everything a million times easier. Do it once and you'll never, with one dog, and you'll you'll never have to be told to do it again. Last, last topic, and that is other dogs. And I think this is a really important topic. And people have odd ideas. They have ideas that, well, I'll use my older dog to train my younger dog. And they will, but I don't think it's what you think it is. So if you have one dog, you say your new puppy has a a more moderate interest in retrieving. So you're going to take it out with your older dog that's just a fire-breathing dragon, right? And let let the younger dog watch the older dog so they get that way too. What happens 99.99% of the time is this dog with a moderate interest in retrieving watches one that's willing to put a whole lot more energy into it, do it, and so all they do is go out and chase them around. So they're not learning that retrieving is awesome. They're learning that chasing the dog that's retrieving is awesome. And they think that the retrieving is somebody else's job. I don't know how many of those I've gotten in for training. I can even to ask people, I said, did, did you throw with your other dog around? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell. Because this dog, I throw something, and a lot of times the dog kind of take off, but it didn't really know what to do. Because there was no other dog to chase out there. And so we had to start all over from the beginning. And sometimes I had to use force fetch to go, no, it's you that does it. So don't let, don't, the other dog is teaching them to become secondary to the other dog and follow them, chase them, or, you know, that this is a game for them, then the other dog's going to do all the work. No value in that. The other thing when you have other dogs is that if whatever this puppy does that it enjoys the most every day is going to be what develops most in that dog and means most to that dog. So if you go out and do a little work with the dog, throw some puppy bumpers in the backyard or something, and then bring the dog back in and turn it loose with, with old Fluffy, then, and the dog spends all the rest of its time with old Fluffy. Old Fluffy is the head guy. Old Fluffy is the pack leader. And you are a server of them and you bring food and water and take them out and do some stuff but it's all about whatever fluffy says and does and so the connection grows between the young dog and the older dog and more than it does between you and that young dog so the highlight of this dog's day needs to be when you two go out on a walk maybe do a few retrieves or you guys go out and do some birds that needs to be the highlight of the dog's day if the highlight of the dog's day is when you turn them loose in the backyard and they run the puppies chasing the older dog and driving it nuts, but you're going, well, that dog deserves it because it did it to the dog before that. And, and that becomes the, the highlight of that dog's day. 
then that's where all the learning, that's where the energy, that's where the development is, is occurring. And you're kind of incidentally filler for that. So the other dogs should be nothing more than maybe in the mornings they go out together in the yard. Maybe after dinner in the evenings they go out in the yard. That's it. <laughs> or maybe at dinner time they can both be behaving, laying down in the, you know, while everyone's having dinner, that kind of thing. So that's not the highlight of, of the dog's day. You know, a five-minute airing in the morning or a little bit of airing after dinner. Just not. That's why you have a crate and a dog run thing. And do not, do not, do not, put for that reason, put them in the same dog run. Don't do that. Because then it's just like, this is my new mom. And so I'll just cuddle up to this dog. I'll also take this dog that has earned a little more respect and chew on its ears and make it bleed and bite it, pull on its lip and do all kind of obnoxious things. So that becomes, again, the fun of the day. You want that puppy, especially in these times right now, when the dog doesn't know what its thing in the world is and it's learning, make it be that you are the highlight of the day and that with you, the most meaningful, enjoyable things happen. Later on, when the dog is older, and by older, I mean a year or two, and knows stuff and all that, then it won't, you know, it, the other dog will be, ah, cool, here you are. But they identify themselves as an individual that works with you. And they identify themselves not as the subset to that other dog, but as, as a pair with you, and you guys do good stuff. I don't, I, I have never owned a dog in my life that thought that other dogs were were the purpose of anything. You know, and you, I watch the dog park. I drive by a dog park when I leave my place, and and everybody just turns their dogs loose, and dogs are running around. Oh, just, I just shudder. It's like, what if one of those suckers is mean? Or one of them, you know, if you do the wrong thing to it, turns on you, and they just turn them loose, and they're all standing up at the fence chatting. <laughs> these dogs it's like they have toddlers you know at the at the park toddlers at the park do need to know how to go out and socialize with each other without mom right in the middle of everything but i have never owned a dog that thought other dogs were particularly relevant that's why they can honor <laughs> they can honor and go oh that's not my bird it's not like i want that it's not yours it's mine they just don't they've done their work now it's that other dog's that is such, such, I, I can't even, I can't even emphasize that enough. If you take a dog that's been raised to be independent and be more connected with you, then when you walk down the street and they see other dogs, they just don't care. It's like, yeah, other dogs, whatever. Whereas if you walk down the street and everybody else's dogs, and I have that with my wiener dog, everybody's dogs want to come see the weasel that I have. And I'm just shocked. It's like my little weasel doesn't have any interest in you or your dogs because she's just wanting to go kill a rabbit. <laughs> because she's, we're a team and our whole entire purpose of life is to find rabbits. The other dogs are irrelevant. And she's only a little over two years old, right? It, that's the same way any dog should be. It should be, okay, what are we doing? Even if it's out hunting with other dogs, all you people that hunt together and you turn your dogs loose and then it gets real competitive and this dog steals from that dog and everything gets all wild and crazy, don't have to have that. If I go out hunting with a dog and everyone else has theirs, mine's with me, period. 
And if another dog is doing something, another dog is doing something. And here's where you start that right now at this age. And if they never learn that this is a competition with another dog or that another dog's going to do the work for you or another dog provides more fun for you, if you never let them learn that, then they'll be real independent. You know, they won't want to fight with other dogs. They won't want to get in the middle of other... They won't, it just doesn't... Not a thing. And here's the place where you do that. So do not let your new dogs sleep with your other dog have the other dog be the highlight of their day the source of the most fun the so source of learning you need to be the one teaching your dog what its future job is and you need to be the highlight of that dog's day and you have this window right now where this is the most perfect time for this and the more they don't learn the bad stuff and they just learn the good stuff the more that will be a trouble-free time with this dog for the rest of your life. And when you have a dog like that, you would never go back because they just love you and they love what you do and they're really good at it and they don't jump on you and they don't bark and they don't rip your stuff up. And if you have to board them, they board them. And if they have to drive 10 hours in the back of the vehicle, they can do it. Uh, they just get their place in life and they fit right in and it's really that way but when you teach them from the get-go that they rule the world and you're there to answer their whims and if they don't sleep in your daughter's bed you know she'll cry all night it's like well you know when the dog is a year then you can do that or you can take a nap with it or something like that but actually put not your pleasure and enjoyment but the priority of raising this dog they don't view it as they don't even know cruel they don't know that they're missing something if they just are taught this is how we do this and your dessert your cheesecake in your life is when we load up and go out on that walk and I got the puppy bumpers and later on bigger bumpers or we got the birds that is where all the meaning and value is the rest of this stuff is just dudes hanging together so that's for people, an hour long, that's for people with new puppies. There's a lot to think about. And it, you actually, like everything else, kind of have to think. It's like, oh, new puppy, this is going to be so great. And I won't give it a thought and I'll teach it all kind of bad habits. And then I'll just send it off to some other trainer who has to hammer them out of it. And the dog doesn't, and then we get stubborn dogs, right? Oh, this stubborn dog. All of that could be prevented. But just upbringing uh, in a loving uh, you want to love a dog this is a way to do it <laughs> it's the easiest way to have an awesome life where the dog and you are together and see things the same way and and the dog is extraordinarily happy because it clearly understands how all of this works you know like i said you want love for a dog give it meaning and purpose and understand why it's here and make it a part of your system that it fits and it's one of the contributors and it's everybody likes having it around and it's not a problem, including the old dog. It's not a problem to that. That's a much better way to go. So for my, for my friends getting their new dogs and anybody that wants to pass this on to somebody getting a new dog, um, it's not just something I just decided. It's based on, like I said, hundreds of dogs and lots of years and it just works real effectively and then you don't have to be so hard on them everybody says they hate tough trainers and tough stuff and do this and that stuff 
it just isn't a big deal. It just isn't going to happen. So back to uh, maybe it's only 18 below now. We'll, I'll have to go see. I'll have to shoehorn my wiener dog outside because this is not her thing. So uh, again, happy 2024 to everybody. And for you new puppy guys, just make a plan. Stick to it. If you really love this animal, give it every opportunity to understand what you're doing. Don't change rules. And you guys can have a very rewarding life together.